What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here with Scale Up Show. I have Jay Hackamy on today. He is the founder of Skypad and CEO. Awesome story about this man, how he bankrolled a bootstrap business, grew it to $10 million in ARR, or I should say $11 million after this year in ARR. And in addition, he also has 140% NRR, which is basically considered world-class when it comes to revenue growth expansion. You're not going to want to miss this. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Jay Hakami, who is the CEO of Skypad. Jay's doing some really interesting things. He's on the Forbes IT Council. He's bootstrapped to 10 million plus, and he's got over 140% NDR retention. Jay, awesome to have you on the show, man. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited, man, because... Real quick backstory about Jay is um, I saw him speak at an event and, and he was talking about what he did, you know, some of the unique things that they did to make it happen and grow. And I'm like, I got to have this guy on my show. Right. So reached out to him, um, got a hold of him and uh, I corralled him in. So, so Jay, before we get started, though, and go real quick into your to the, the meat, let's get into a real quick revenue rundown of where you guys are at in the stage of the journey. So. Where are you guys at right now? We just finished up 2022 in terms of your ARR. Uh, uh, okay, well, in 2022, we reached a, a milestone of uh, 900 um, 900,000 MRR, which gives us about 11 million ARR for the for starting the year of 2023. And we're projecting another, we had a significant growth year over year right after the pandemic. Um, and we're, we're expecting a significant growth going into 2023. Nice. What are you projecting growth for 23, percentage-wise? We're looking at around 35, 30 to 35% growth. You have to remember, all our growth is organic. So we're looking at 35% growth year over year uh, going into 2023. It's very doable. The pipeline is, is there. Um, I know there's a lot of noise in the economy and the layoffs and everything else that's well, hearing in the news, but uh, what we're doing is special. It's uh, essential. We proved that during the pandemic, and I believe that more retailers and more brands that are using our platform will will come in. Uh, you know, in two thousand three, twenty three, and beyond. Love it, man. Love it. So, in light of that, what's, what's your primary go to market strategy for revenue growth? What do you do? Okay, well, a couple of things. We we've invested um, a tremendous amount, and actually looking to invest even more in sales and marketing. Uh, that's what one of our go-to strategies. We expanded into Europe. We have uh, we're coming up with new solutions that that meet the demand of our audience. Uh, we expanded our sales uh, folks uh, on the field, um, and then we are continuously looking to expand with um, uh, new solutions in, into new industries. And with that, with that in mind. Um, our focus has been always the fashion, apparel, luxury market, and we have a very high percentage um, in that segment. So now going into home, going into shoes, going into cosmetics, beauty, and, and electronics is something that uh, is a wide space and, 
open space for us and white space for us as well. That's awesome. So you niche down in retail, and I know we talked about that on the uh, the pre-show call, which is exceptional. Uh, I think that's one of the most overlooked strategies when, when folks talk about their go-to-market. They try and go so broad, and it looks like you went really narrow to start, which now you're going the opposite, and uh, it definitely proved out. So how, how large is your team size? We currently about uh, 50 plus, uh, very talented group of people in the U.S. and abroad. Um, we are looking to grow that, not tremendously, because we're investing and have invested heavily in technology. So most of what we do is automated. Uh, but having said that, you still need the skills to come up with new products, new solutions, continuous development. Because we're not sitting there and milking the, the business. We're continuously in, in innovating. And that's really key in, in my field, in our field, because if you're just sitting there and continuously just to you know, to do what you're doing every single day, that's not going to happen because within a short period of time, you'll be out of business. So, yeah. put, we need to continue to innovate and invest money in new products and new solutions in order to keep up and, and move forward. Okay. Excellent, ma'am. That makes a lot of sense. So, what, what does your solution do? Can you give us a little more, like in a couple sentences, like what's the solution and what's the outcome it creates? In one sentence, we actually bridge the data gap between retailers and the brands. So if you can imagine, brands and retailers do need to know how the products are selling, that the, the brand's products are selling at the retail stores. Um, retailers do share data with their brands. They share data related to their brand sales performance in the different stores, the different uh, geographies that they're in. Having said that, every retailer provides that information differently. It could be Excel, could be PDF, could be EDI, could be a portal. So to consume that data is very, very difficult for the brands. You know, they're getting all this data from different data sources. They got to put it together. And by Monday, they need to be able to show it to their merchandising people and C-level people to see how they're doing, how they did the week before. We make it easy. We capture every single retailer on the planet today that has data that to distribute. We provide the brand with one dashboard that enables them to see how their products are selling or not uh, within the geographies they're in, within the product attributes, season style, color, size, as well as time dimension. So they cannot miss out. They can be proactive with the buyers of those department stores to say, hey, you know, this red is not selling in Detroit. It's doing very well in in, um, in Florida, let's ship those goods into Florida because we have very little in stock there. So being proactive is really what we are doing. And we're providing the retailer with a mechanism to do distribution of data to their brand, which today is a, is a headache to many of them. And many of the retailers, it's a headache to do distribution of sell-through data to their brand. Very long question, a very short question, but kind of <laughs> what we do. That's all right, man. You, you're, uh, you're, you're bringing home the bacon with the solution, so it's easy to get excited about it. Are you bootstrapped? Uh, well, I said you're bootstrapped. You still are bootstrapped, correct? Uh, we're still bootstrapped. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, I, I, think, um, I think that's amazing considering you know, the level that you got being bootstrapped. It's a really, really hard, hard road to get to, I think. Um, and let me ask you that. Like, okay, just to, to get a little deeper, like, how did you go from zero to one, right? Like, how did that happen? Well, let me tell you, you need to hear a little bit about the history here. We started as a reseller. 
So when I started the company, you know, I went, I went the easy way route. Let me buy for a dollar, sell for a dollar ten, make some money and make a living basically, right? Um, years later, we got into data warehousing and business intelligence type solution for the apparel industry basically. But then I wanted to get into more a predictive, uh, predictive way of, uh, of seeing how much revenue is coming in and every month without chasing different projects every single month. So I said, let's get into this thing called data sharing. It wasn't even SaaS at that time. Um, <laughs> and uh, we said, okay, so let's see who's doing what and maybe we can copy them. And we found somebody that does it very, you know, very old fashioned with CDs. And we said, we can do this on this thing called internet and this thing called web. And that's how we got started. So Theory, if you're familiar with a company named Theory, was our very first customer and still is. And I came to them with a PowerPoint presentation. I said, this is what we're looking to do. And they said, okay, we'll try you out. We went back to the ranch, we developed something. It wasn't great, um, but we were able to get our first customer. And then we perfected it as we went to the second customer and third and so on. And, and as you go through the roadmap, you know, we're getting five to seven to 12 accounts per year, accounts per year. Then the retailers started calling us and saying, we're sending that data to them. What are you doing better than us? Why are people paying you? Why are the brands paying you to do this? So we went back and forth and lo and behold, we were able to get distribution agreements with companies like Demon Marcus and Saks Fifth Avenue and Saks Office and so on and so on, Nordstrom and so on and so forth. So all of a sudden, we became the data distributor for these major, major department stores and became a hub, if you will, between the retailers and the brand. So that's how we oh. started. So you started with the brand first and then the brands the brand found out about it. Exactly. And then, okay. and, then, and then we started talking to the retailers and more and more retailers said, listen, we're, we're, we're having a problem here with, with communication between the buyers and the, our buyers and the, the brand sellers. Right. Said, we have a solution for you. Take a look at what we have and that's how it happens. That's awesome. I guess like, let me ask you this, Jay. So when you did that, um, when you created that first version, and I think it's cool, you're just like, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. What's your thoughts? Like, A, how much did you charge for it? And B, how much did it cause you to create initially, right? Because um, that's that's what I'm, I'm always curious about. And it's funny that you started off as a retailer as well. Yeah, pricing is very interesting. And the first two customers, we were, the way we did the pricing is, what can they pay? What can they pay? That was, uh, we, we didn't even know how to price it, to be honest with you. So we said, oh, we're going to give it for three or $4,000 a month based upon how many retailers you want. And, and it was kind of, a, you know, kind of shooting from the hip on the pricing. Um, as we got older, as we got more mature, it became a lot more uh, intricate, intricate, meaning that, okay, how many users, how many retailers, how many SKU you have for a season, we put that into a meat grinder, then we come up with pricing on a monthly basis. So okay. we, have, uh, we have customers that have 30, 40 retails that we're collecting from across the globe. Well, we have also customers who only want to see Neiman Marcus. That's all they care about. So obviously, it's a value proposition, right? I mean, those who are using us only for one retailer, it's a couple of hundred dollars a month. You have a dashboard. You can see what you're selling. Those that we're collecting for 30, you know, 30 retailers, like Michael Kors or Tory Burch or L'Oreal, those big companies, obviously, their monthly subscription is a bit higher, more than a bit higher. Okay. Excellent, man. So I guess like 
From that, how much did the, your initial product that you built cost, though? Uh, to build it? Yeah. Oh, you know, we, I think we at the time we spent, uh, you know, I'm not a big R&D guy, so we wanted to do what's called funded R&D. Uh, let's see, you know, how much the customers will need to pay for it. But having said that, we did spend probably about 100, maybe 150,000 to develop the first prototype. After that, it was all customer driven, you know, customer funded. Um, and quite frankly, you know, it, it helped because you don't want to sit there and develop an IP tower. You want a customer input into what you do. And that's exactly what we, what we did. Slowly and gradually, the product had more and more value and added more and more functionality. So that's, that's, that's a real, real fortunate. I love it, man. That's awesome. So um, I guess, like, how did you get to 1 million in AR on accident? That was one of the things you highlighted as well. Yeah, well, that was an accident. Um, so we, we, as I mentioned to you before, we started adding more and more brands into the into the equation, and and I, my dream was to get to you know to fifty thousand uh, dollar MRR, and once we got that, it was high five. Now let's double that to a hundred, and that you know that was a continuous high five as we continue to add and attract more and more um, brands. The big jump was we started working with the retailers. So when we first landed our first retailer, you can imagine that um, uh, we had an exclusive arrangement where we get all their brands. So they send us all the data and we do the distribution. So if you want to get insights into your product sales performance in a specific, that specific retailer, you had to go through Sky. So we actually, that, that graph kind of shows an increase in revenue, and that's when we kind of tapped the one million uh, when we got there. So it, it wasn't it wasn't that hard. actually we were losing money to be quite honest with you, and we had to some of the companies are publicly held, so we couldn't use the server we had in the closet. We had to go to a public you know uh, uh, facility, a public uh, hosting facility, and I can tell you that some of them it, at that point it cost us more to maintain than we got fees in return, but. Lo and behold, if you look backward, it was a good investment, right? Uh, right. Yeah, so, yeah, man. So, uh, and then we moved to a hosting facility, and now we're moving again. So it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing, ongoing process to improve what you have. Well, so how long, how long were you in the red for then? Because that's, that's tough, I, I'm, I can imagine, when you're in there. A lot of pressure, a lot of um, stress probably associated with that. Like, how long were you in that period for, and what was it like emotionally? Uh, we were in the red for a period of about three or four years. Uh, wow. luckily, for us, luckily for us, we also had a resale business. So the resale business was still doing well and was able to fund some of the sins or some of the investments, if you will, that we did in Skypad. So we're able to fund it with, with the resale business. Once that started to go up, the resale business started to decline. So we were, we were kind of fortunate that we needed to go to the outside to get money because we had a business that was functioning, making some kind of profit that was able to move into the development of the new product. Love that, man. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, that's what I was going to, that's what I was curious. So you're in the red for three or four years. You had another business that, that was, was kind of bankrolling it essentially with the profits Correct. from that. Was that, Correct. was that kind of your intention um, with the, the resale business um, on that or no? Well, the resale business, as much as I loved it, and I was, you know, we're making a decent, uh, decent living out of it, but I also knew that resale is not where I want to be. I also knew the valuations on resale uh, are far, far different than, than SaaS. And 
even though it was good, I knew at one point it will change, and it has. We are selling IBM hardware. We're selling HP software. And it becomes more of a commoditized type business. But the hardware, whoever is buying hardware right now, usually it's the hosting companies because everybody is doing hosting. Uh, software is becoming SaaS. So people are not buying software like they used to. So making the transition from a reseller of hardware, software, and services and maintenance, if you will, into SaaS was um, one of the best decisions I ever made. And I did it very early back in 2008. Um, and I, you know, looking back, if I have not done that, I'm not sure what I would have done today. Perhaps go to dental school or do something else. I don't know. So that's crazy. So basically, let me just clarify. So you had a retail business where you were a reseller. Retail business, not retail. Oh, retail. Resell. Not the reseller. Word. Okay. When, okay, you're, okay. when you're reselling IBM hardware or you're reselling gotcha. IBM software, it's still B two B. I was not never in the. I was never in the retail store environment. Uh, Okay. <laughs> I was imagining, I kid you not, I was imagining like Radio Shack where you were like, you were a retailer reselling like IT, but I get it now. No, you were just no, a reseller. No. Okay. Just a reseller. Totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And then, reseller and system integrator. That's what it used to be called. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Um, so that totally makes sense. So let's fast forward, you know, because I'd love to hear your feedback on this. What... What was your growth path to get to 10 million ARR? Like, how, how did you do that? What were the steps you took? Um, and would just love to hear that. Okay. Well, to get to, to this level, a couple of things happened. Number one, uh, very aggressive marketing strategy uh, to, to existing clients as well as to the retail community. Uh, we were helped by many of our brands because if you remember, we have very uh, large companies that are using Skypad to, to see how their products are selling in their in the retail store yeah. they're selling to. So they were calling up on, on our behalf on retail, say, can you send that data directly to Skypad? Because that's our mechanism to consume and be able to make you know decisions. So the combination of good customer service, where we, our churn has been 1% to 2% every year uh, in terms of wow. dollar value. So it's very, very low. Even during the pandemic, we were at 2.1% churn. So we were thought, you know, we're going out of business, but eventually we were considered essential for most businesses. So the, the I think there wasn't really a turning point per se. It was a consist, consistency in servicing the clients amazing so they can be not our, not our, our um, customers, but be our partners. And with them, we're able to achieve more and more and more every year. So today, if we ask for a reference, it's very easy. I mean, pretty much 100% of our customers serve as our references. So it's very easy to sell in many ways. Our demo ratio is about 75% close on a demo. So, Wow, that's fantastic, man. Yeah. 75% close rate on a demo. So the, the key is just getting in front of them then, really.
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. All right, Jay. So just switching gears a little bit, one of the things that I wanted to understand are metrics, right? And and with you, something that stood out to me when you talked about at, at your presentation are, are there's three core metrics that you care the most about. So I would just love to hear and have you share what those are and then kind of why those matter so much to you. Well, obviously, uh, as a SaaS company, our MRR is probably the most important. I mean, we always look at MRR. Um, is, is a key component of our business and how much you're increasing it month over month and, and so on and so forth. And that obviously leads to ARR. The second one that I continuously look at and uh, I'm always amazed at is the churn. Uh, I'm always amazed at where you're still keeping it at the very low, you know, one or two percent um, um, of revenue. And that, that means that customers are using the product. That means the customers are happy with the, with the, with the service. And that means that we have customers that are continuously uh, using it for, to, to enhance their business. And we also look at a couple of other things that, um, I mean, not like CAC and other things that SaaS companies look at, but the, the, the interesting piece that I looked at always is what's my booking in the fourth quarter? Because I know the fourth quarter is of last year, 2002, fourth quarter, by the time we onboard them, it's going to be a very strong you know, Q1, Q2 for us. And the second item that I look at is the first quarter of the year, because that first and second quarter of the year, because that's still in billing for 2023. So we're looking at continuously at you know what are what are we booking, what are we losing if anything, and then the net the net uh, the net, net revenue is really what our biggest our biggest uh, focal point is. Okay. So let's go to churn, right? So I think you know your your churn and your NRR are amazing at that 140 percent or 138 percent. I think right around 140 percent, two percent or one to two percent churn, which is minuscule. <clears throat> like if you had to deconstruct how to get 40 percent NRR, right, and one to two percent churn, and why you resulted in or created those results, I should say, so far. Like, what would you attribute that to? And, you know, if you had to break it down into three to five things. Okay. Well, I think one of the most important is the team, right? The people, the people behind it. Uh, you know, you cannot attain, you know, one, two or 3% uh, churn when you have uh, nobody responding to a customer request or customer questions. So the team we have in place, we call it analyst squad, but these are ninjas. I mean, they are, are there within 20 minutes or five minutes of an email, they respond. They investigate, they really get back to the customer immediately. So customer success, so customer service is probably one of the most important things that we provide. Number two is the technical team, okay? The technical team, you know, people throw at us a lot of things. Can you do this, this, and this? And, and if you go to most technical teams, the first, the first answer is no, it's impossible to do. Their approach is, let me take a look at it. Let me explore it. Let me investigate it. Let me dig down underneath and figure it out. And in 99%, 98% of the time, they figure it out, okay? So um, these are the things, you know, being customer-centric is the most important thing, I think, for any business, whether you sell shoes 
or you sell services on, on, on a SaaS uh, platform. But to, to provide that level of customer service where people come to you because they heard of your customer service, that's for me a huge checkmark why, why, why we are continuously improving uh, our you know, retention, retention rates. Okay, um, so keep going. Did you have more or is that it, those two? Well, the, the technology obviously has to be there, right? Uh, the technology is important. It has to be there. It has to be a good technology, solid technology, uh, secure and all that good stuff. But I always say, you know, and say to front of the team, you know, it's really the people that make the business. Technology comes second. So if you want to build a good business, make sure you invest in the people you're, you're with. They will take you to the next level. They'll be the best technology out there. Uh, so again, it's, for me, it revolves about the human factor, not the technology side of the business. For me, mm. it's about the people and what they do every single day, the responsibility, the accountability that they take upon themselves that make this uh, you know, a very unique, very unique company in many ways. Yeah, and that's the approach Starbucks has taken, right? Uh, employees right. first, and then that happy employees lead to happy customers, right? So how, how do you find and recruit those people, though? That's like one of the biggest things that I, I see people struggling with. And I actually heard in an interview that is uh, some consider Elon, one of Elon Musk's um, ninja skills is how he recruits exceptional people. So what would be your response to that? Well, we, we have, uh, we went through a lot of ups and downs in recruiting people. We have some, uh, some amazing people that we have been able to attract and some that were here a very short period of time. Luckily, not too many. Um, having said that, what we found is taking people that have industry knowledge and expertise is better than taking people that are technical. Let me explain. Mm. Um, we have uh, a few folks that joined, that used to be in the industry, worked for, you know, Tory Birch, Giorgio Armani, to companies that do with our audience. They mm-hmm. speak their language, they can talk their language, they understand the tech, they obviously they understand the technology because most of them were users of our technology. So their ability to communicate to, the, to, the, to our subscribers is much easier than somebody that came off the street, a high flyer salesperson that can sell es- you know, ice to Eskimos, but doesn't understand it's a consultative sale. You need to understand the detail. You cannot push it. You need to offer it. You need to look at options, provide options. So what we found is people from the industry make a huge difference for us when it comes to SaaS and the fashion retail uh, space. Yeah. And so that's our, that's our, you know, that's our, you know, uh, I guess, uh, weapon uh, in, getting the, in, in staying with the, in this industry. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. The domain expertise is really critical, especially the larger the ACB size, right? the higher the expectation is in terms of the customization and the experience. So, um, so yeah, I think you're, you're definitely spot on with that. And I got feedback with different members of my team when we were in the retail space or other key verticals like healthcare saying that um, nine out of 10 people that walk in and talk to us, this is the customer's view, have no understanding about what our business actually is. Right. And you guys do. And, and so that separated us. So I could see why that would be huge um, all the way from, the messaging to the conversation to the key priorities to the company priority. Yeah, I get it, man. Well, I appreciate your kind spirit and being open to talking to folks. Um, and 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 really appreciate what you're doing with the company and how you just made it happen, how you basically in the beginning had a business to bankroll creation of your SaaS business, which is near and dear to my heart. 
Um, and love, love, love what you're doing, man. So thanks for being on the show, Jay. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.